digitalization has been a growing watchword within the energy transition for a few years now, but we are truly starting to see its impact on our everyday lives, especially when it comes to our relationship with energy. Hello, I'm David Weston, host of Energy Enablers, and in this episode, I'm joined by Barbara Fry, Executive Vice President for Industrial Automation at Schneider Electric. This week, we delve into the world of Industry 4.0 and what it could mean for your business. I hope you enjoy our chat. Barbara, thank you so much for joining us on Energy Enablers today. Can you briefly define Industry 4.0? How has it evolved over the past few years? And was there an Industry 3.0? And what's changed from that stage? Look, in Industry 4.0 or 4.0, um, it's also called the Fourth Industrial Revolution. This is really the next phase in the digitization of the manufacturing sector. And it's driven uh, by trends, which means, for instance, data analytics and connectivity, human-machine interaction, open automation, and also, of course, improvement in robotics. And it's a kind of evolution, huh? like a version like you do it in, in software. So it all started with uh, Industry 1.0 and went to 2.0, 3.0, um, like steam, which was propelled uh, to the original industrial revolution. Then you have electricity, that's, uh, which has powered the second one. And then you have the automation and the machinery engineered for the third revolution or industry 3.0. Now, industry 4.0 was very much German driven. And it was the first time mentioned at the Hanover Fair in 2011. And the overall objective was relatively clear it's the integration of the IT world into the OT world. That means production technology so that you can allow a higher level of innovative products and performance. So the vision was like when you land with your German mobile in Japan, you immediately can connect to the network. And this kind of vision wanted to be transported into the industry, into the production technology. So in the past few years, many challenges needed to, to be solved to really uh, uh, make this happen. And, and, and the big part was the development of the technical standards and norms to really then allow the communication between human and machine, but also between machine and machine. Otherwise, this doesn't work. You need to exchange a lot of data to make this happen. And in the last few years, it has been really recognized that people are key and therefore need to be involved early on when you embark on such a project. And the European Union then started to, to brand the wording, it's Industry 5.0. And this came up, I think, around 2020. And, and, and from my point of view, it's based on two main beliefs. So first, industries can really play an active role in providing solutions to challenges for the society. And, and this includes uh, the protection of our resources, climate change, and also, of course, social stability. So the industry sector is a place where a lot of workplaces are available. And on the other side, it empowers workers, as well as it addresses the evolving skills and training needs for the employees. So it increases the competitiveness of the industry and also helps to attract the best talents. And that's clearly an evolution from Industry 4.0, as I mentioned before, was more focused on the technology aspect, the standards, the norms, the data. Now it's really about human, about people. Yeah, absolutely. And so what kind of technologies are we talking about here when it comes to Industry 4.0? You mentioned sort of interconnectivity, so internet-based, but what, yeah, what products 
uh, can we see um, that are going to have an impact in improving productivity and efficiency within the manufacturing industry? So from a Schneider Electric's perspective, we are absolutely convinced that open and software-defined automation will be the most promising technology for the future of manufacturing. Why? I think there is clearly the element open automation, software-defined automation allows you to seamlessly integrate um, OT into IT. So it's it's not something which needs specific additional hardware. It's part of the architecture. It also allows you, even on an installed base of different systems, to orchestrate those systems together because you can only start to digitize if you have all data available. And, and, and a lot of data is created in the different automation system that you might have in a manufacturing plant. And then another aspect why you are convinced that software defined will be the future is you can detach the hardware from the software. So you create the functionality in the software and then you decide on which hardware I'm going to run it based on my environmental um, requirements, space requirements, or what technology is available at the moment. So, and this is quite a paradigm shift in the industry. But we think really software-defined open automation is the key technology to go towards more efficiency and productivity and also attractiveness of workplace in the end in the industry. So how does Industry 4.0 contribute to the sustainability goals of the industrial sector? So overall, the industry has quite an impact on the emissions. So they represent about 32 to 33%. So working on the efficiency and decarbonization is really instrumental to achieve carbon neutrality. So, and here we apply a relatively simple formula. It starts to apply open, open automation. That's for flexibility, resilience, but also to get them the data that you need to get transparency into your processes. And if you have then the data from your processes, you can start with digitalization. You make the invisible visible, and it's really the base for efficiency and end-to-end traceability across the whole value chain. Um, And also, it allows you then to really work on your energy efficiency. So resource efficiency, energy efficiency, also topics like circularity. Then we come to the next one, that's electrification for decarbonization. And and electricity is the most efficient uh, format of energy. Uh, to electrify or to to energize a plant. And uh, in this whole equation, then open industrial automation, digitalization, electrification, this brings you to sustainability overall. Now, putting it also into a context and become more granular, when you look at the heavy industry, like uh, metals, like uh, chemicals, oil and gas, these industries have worked on, on energy efficiency already since quite some time. So, so because their energy bill or, or electricity bill has always relatively been high and a lot of business cases really paid out. When you now look at the light manufacturing industry, where, where uh, a lot of companies are in, uh, they didn't really care about it. And the first wake-up call came 2022 when the energy crisis hit Europe due to the Ukrainian war. And uh, a lot of companies then really started to look at their energy bill. They said, oh, it's relatively high now. I really need to work on energy efficiency. And this gave quite a big momentum into the industry. 
And um, again, when you look at the whole energy efficiency gains that needs to be done in the industry, the majority of it needs to happen in the light manufacturing industry because there it has not happened before. And we have now here today, even if it's a, a sad cause, the unique opportunity that the climate crisis for the first time is really also coming together than with the energy crisis, which is accelerating things. So what you do for the energy crisis will inherently help also the climate crisis. Absolutely. Uh, and so what what emerging trends do you anticipate uh, coming to the fore uh, in the continued evolution of Industry 4.0 and in, into Industry 5.0? So what, one thing which is really important, and I said, um, the, what is important to recognize that people really play um, a big role in, 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 this, in this journey. And, and what helps now is really technology which augments and empowers people on the shop floor more. So it's not to eliminate workforce, but to make the job more efficient, more attractive overall. So it's, it's really empowering people to make conscious decision about what do I do? What do I improve? Where do I rather stop now a process because um, I might have other availabilities or I might have a quality issue and that's the reason for the quality issue. That's why I make this uh, kind of decision in my manufacturing process. So this will be clearly an evolution which is then supported by data analytics, which is supported by artificial intelligence and machine learnings and really makes a, work pl- a workplace overall more sustainable, more attractive. And so what steps can organizations take to ensure a smooth transition, uh, both for their employees uh, and, their f- and their businesses as a whole? So first of all, uh, where many companies, and that's a bit our observation, fail to really embark on a full digitalization journey uh, in their manufacturing environment is that the, the, there is not really a common understanding on the top or, or, or a really a commitment, but then there is also not enough involvement from the people even in the shop floor. So if you really want to make this a success from the top, there has to be a clear commitment to collaborate over the different functions to make this happen. And then you need the people from the shop floor to really tell what it's needed. What do we really require? What helps us to become more efficient? And when you work on these combinations, having the right leadership um, um, uh, attitude in your team, and then also bringing from the top, from the bottom to the top, um, um, what is what is exactly now needed to make it happen? Then I think you are really set up for success. One of the elements of Industry 4.0, as I understand, is the sort of digital twins. Uh, concept for for a manufacturing uh, plant or a, a factory or something. I've heard digital twins in terms of grid operation and, and power generation. How can the industrial sector implement and leverage the digital twins to uh, optimize processes and product development? Yeah, it's funny that it's it's known uh, um, very much in the grid operation and power generation. But when you really look at history, in fact, digital twin concept started in the industry as early as of two thousand. So, and it's a way to simulate really at the design phase already. And then the same model is then being used as the asset lifecycle management in the operational phase, where then really go to digital threats, providing a single version of the truth where the process or your plant is at the moment. So it's really a critical piece in the industry to help uh, overall pushing performance, but also, of course, resilience further. And, and, and of course, one key aspect of the digital twin is, is, is collaboration. 
So when you really combine then the real-time edge control with the power of the cloud of the same digital twin, um, that brings then various stakeholders, including external partners, to cooperate and solve problems. So you can bring in service provider from externally, remotely, who can look at your plant. And because you can rely on the data which is shown, you can make faster, good business decisions. And business decisions that uh, affect both the energy usage uh, and the energy efficiency of, of the site? Of course, of course. So it's energy efficiency, it's productivity efficiency, it's the quality of your output. Um, so there, there are different elements. Mm. And again, also safety is a big aspect. Mm. How do I keep my workplace safe or how can I go to more autonomous stations? So a lot of discussion nowadays we have with customers, how can I make my control room even more autonomous? Because I also have a workforce problem. I, I don't find any more enough people so that I can go into three shifts in certain plants to, to, to overlook the control room. So I need in the back a digital twin enriched with the right applications then to help me to control and make the right decisions. Hi, everyone. Please do rate and review this podcast wherever you listen. It really helps us out, means we can make more shows like this and means more people can find us. Also, a quick reminder to subscribe to Foresight Climate and Energy so you don't miss out on any of our other podcasts or long-form journalism. Now, back to the show. And can you integrate um, renewables into that system? So if, for example, the the manufacturing site has its own uh, solar panel array and things like that, can that be integrated in there to for the most efficient use of that energy that it's generating? Absolutely. That's exactly the formula. So you have in principle overall, you have you have on one hand, you have the, 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 the process, which is automated. Then you have the energy sources, which should be renewable, green technology. And then on top of it, you have the software, which helps you exactly to orchestrate between these two elements. Yeah. So when is, is a high availability of certain energy resources at the right price? And then I rather do this kind of production, whereas when the energy price goes up, I rather than do this kind of production because sure. it's less energy intensive. And these are exactly the things why you need open automation. The more you're optimized, the more you bring in flexibility to produce in the different parts of your manufacturing. With the increased level of um, integration and connectivity using Industry 4.0 and 5.0, that must add significant cybersecurity challenges uh, for firms, uh, especially when it comes to both operational technology and uh, information technology equipment. How can industrial companies protect themselves and from cybersecurity threats? Look, cybersecurity is clearly a threat. When you look today, cybersecurity crime in the industry um, is becoming a bigger market than uh, dealing with drugs. So, uh, and, and a lot of our customers or partners have been touched mm -hmm. by such a, a cybersecurity threat. So, uh, but but usually it, it, it's viewed only as a defensive practice. But it, it's really. It, it can drive a larger value out, outcome. So if you really embrace the whole thing and, and, and you start also to share then with others what you are doing um, in, in the sense of people, processes, and technology, um, which is then also leading into your digital transformation right. program, it is really enabling and fostering the IT-OT convergence. 
And, and this is not only necessary for, for the resilience, but it also established a cultural foundation in using that you need to scale dig mm. digital technologies. Because when you make an analysis, cybersecurity is often a problem of human behavior. So there is statistics. I cannot now give you a, a high number, but it's surprisingly high sure. how many cybersecurity incidents are happening because people have done the wrong behaviors. Right. Um, so, so if you really alert in the organization, the cybersecurity aspect, you also upskill your people to really work with the digital technologies. And this is really the foundation to become successful in the digitalization journey. And is this digitalization and are these tools available for smaller manufacturers and SMEs? And, and can they access the benefits of these? Or is it really uh, better used on big multinational manufacturing sites? No, I think... In principle, also SMEs should protect and there are solutions available. Sure. We're also working with partners. We have, by the way, also applied. You could look at Schneider Electric also. We have we have many, many sites mm. um, and, and each site is protected with cybersecurity. Okay. So um, what we do today also is we consult then our customers on the digital transformation journey also on the aspect of cybersecurity. Mm. So cyber Security has to be applied everywhere, not just in the big plants. And when it comes to Industry 4.0 more widely, how are the regulators and the politicians uh, reacting to that? Are they able to keep up? Are the laws and uh, and the frameworks in place to, to govern this sector uh, effectively? It's a good question and it's not such an easy answer. I think where the public sector can play a crucial role is on one hand, incentivize the output. And this is where I like so much the, the Inflation Reduction Act in the US, sure. which gives you benefits when you produce in the right way. Okay. Uh, th th that's one aspect. The other aspect is then also the availability of, of, of renewables. So if I want to become a sustainable manufacturer, I have to look at all parts in the value chain which might cause then, then CO2. So how far away I am from, from a transportation point of view? Do I need hundreds of kilometers a lorry? Or is there good manufacturing possibilities close to a shore, which makes me quite efficient in, in, in transporting my goods away? Is renewable energy available in the place where I'm producing? Yes or no? Is there skilled workforce available in the area where I am? And I think today some countries have recognized this. And they say, hey, look, if you come, for instance, to Canada in certain areas, I can provide you access to green energy. I can provide you the right uh, um, uh, skills in, in the workforce. Some, some governments have recognized this and really now work on it. Some still have to get there. Sure. So, uh, <laughs> But it's really about what kind of attractive place can I create for manufacturing industry? Mm. And again, manufacturing industry is the foundation or the backbone of the society because it provides a lot of workplaces. Absolutely. Barbara, thank you so much. Really interesting uh, introduction there to Industry 4.0 and its impact on, on the manufacturing sector. I'm really keen to learn a little bit about your background um, uh, and where you come from. How did you get into working at, at Schneider in, in this sort of sector? So I'm, I'm, I'm a mechanical engineer. 
Um, I've always been very much attracted by by how energy is produced, hmm. how you use energy in the most efficient way, what are the technologies behind. And that was the reason why I became a mechanical engineer. I was a kind of a child of the of the energy crisis in the 80s, mm-hmm. or uh, let's say uh, 70s and then early 80s. So um, the whole topic about sustainability, energy efficiency, how you get more productive was always attractive for me. And that was clearly one of the reasons why I chose to work for Schneider Electric more than sure. seven years ago. And so where did, when did the interest in digitalization come from? Uh, very early on. So uh, when I was 17, I started to do my first programming, you know, with these languages, which mm. maybe some don't even don't remember anymore, Fortran. <laughs> uh, I, I, I built my own personal computer when I was 23, 24 with uh, luxury components like a Pentium processor or, or SCSI drive. I, I was really fascinated by this one. I installed Linux, all, always the newest kernel compiled uh, and tried out a lot of things. I did my PhD. I, for my PhD, I did the simulation software. So digitalization was always close to my heart. Uh, and now you're able to knit sort of those two interests together with digitalization, but also uh, energy efficiency. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so again, efficiency is driven by knowing also what's happening. Without knowing what's happening, you cannot be really efficient. And digitalization allows you to know what's happening at every point of time mm. or situation in, in, in your environment. And that's the fascinating part. Absolutely. And it must be really interesting to see sort of the new generation uh, of engineers coming through with, you know, having grown up with digitalization, I guess, and, and applying that today with with some creativity. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, again, still, I think we need even more engineers today. When you look at the challenges that we are facing, um, my concern is also we, we, we don't really embrace yet 50% of the population in this profession. Mm. So still, when you go to the engineering uh, departments of the different university, I think if you get to a ratio of 20, 30%, you already have a high ratio of women, men and women choosing right. engineering. So I think we also need much more women in this profession Absolutely. because engineering capabilities are key for the future. So what advice would you give uh, any budding engineers or, or, or young young girls maybe interested in trying to get into this space? So, 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 so don't be afraid about the topic. It's really a rewarding profession. Hmm. Um, it, it gives you a lot of areas where you can work. Um, it's not only that you can work with the absolutely technical stuff. There is also a lot uh, around um, uh, areas which goes to, say, sustainability, human aspects, so there is a wide range in engineering you can work on from economics aspect, technical aspect, human aspect. Sure. So you can really choose where your strengths are to a certain extent. Absolutely. Barbara, thank you so much. One question, uh, my final question is uh, one we ask all of our guests on energy enablers. Will the energy transition succeed? Yes. You want now a, long, a longer answer? But yes. I'm, 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 you know, I, I'm, I'm now in this, I'm 53 years old. And, and this whole energy crisis discussion is almost 50 years old. Eh? So, um, and, and I've never seen a momentum as it was like in the last five years. And it keeps going. Mm. And that keeps really optimistic that we are going to make it. Barbara, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. 
My thanks again to Barbara for joining me on this week's podcast. I love that Barbara built her own computer. That's so cool. Are you or your business being affected by Industry 4.0? Join the conversation with other experts by becoming a Foresight member today. Visit foresightmedia.com or follow the link in the show notes to get a one-month free trial with full access to the website and app. Until next time, thanks for listening.